Welcome back to our Hinduism 101 series. The student is ready. The guide is ever available. What's next? We need a map. In this next episode of the Hinduism 101 series, Vivekji explains the source upon which our religion is based. Let's get started. In our third class, we will shift our focus to the second rung, which is Shastra. So let me begin. Today is Vyasa's third birthday, our son Vyasa. And he's a lucky boy. Every day I tell him, Vyasa say I'm a lucky boy. So now it's just mechanical for him, but eventually he'll feel he's a lucky boy. So he's had many cakes over the past few days. And one of the cakes was one of those fake cakes. You know, the grocery store kind with the really fake cream and, and sponge and so on. And then Sheila made him a, a very real cake with crumble and authentic whipped cream. How many of you prefer the fake cake over the real cake? There are some people, I know some of you like fake cake more than real cake. Yes? I know some of you do. Okay. Maybe that example didn't work. <laughs> One person's trash is another person's treasure. That works for you. See, our tongues, our bodies, they taste the fake cake, the real cake. They see the trash, they see the treasure. It's not our tongue or body that is interpreting that, that is feeling that. It is the mind and intellect. We are more than our body. Does anyone deny that? Yet we do subtly if you're living your life for beauty rather than being healthy, then you don't know that you're more than the body. So you can nod all you want, but that's a gauge. What's more important to you, beauty or being healthy? So what are we if we're more than our body? Our shastras or scriptures, also known as maps, manuals, etc., share that we have five sheaths. I'm gonna go from the most superficial to the deepest. The first sheath is the body. Deeper than that is the breath. Deeper than that, the mind. Deeper than that, the intellect. And the deepest sheath is the ego. You caught those five sheaths. Now, whenever you think of a sheath, isn't the implication that there's something that is within those sheaths? That there has to be a core. That's the beauty of this word kosha, sheath, kosha. It indicates that we are different than this. Okay, that's one analysis. Another way our shastras describe 
how we are more than our body. We have three bodies. One of them is called the growth. It's the body and the breath. Then we have that which is within a subtle body. And that contains the mind and the intellect. And further within is the causal body, which contains the ego. The ego causes the intellect and mind and the way your intellect and mind feels that expresses as your breath and body. If you are a confident personality, then you stand straighter. Agreed? If your mind is quiet, you breathe in a more rhythmic way. Yes? These bodies in Sanskrit are called sharira. I'm going to reduce the amount of Sanskrit I'm going to use so this becomes more philosophical. So there's a gross sharira, a subtle sharira, and a causal sharira. What does sharira mean in English? And don't say body. I already know that. You already know that too. Tell me what the etymology of the word sharira is. That which is, in an intense way, that which is dying. In a less intense way, that which is changing. So we are more than the body. <laughs> We're also more than the mind, intellect, and so on. Our subtle body, as I mentioned, is the mind and the intellect, and that's where we live. The mind is the doubter, and the intellect is the decider. You know the cartoon Tom and Jerry? I feel like this is a copy of the mind and intellect. <laughs> One keeps doubting, one keeps deciding, and they keep on bickering with each other. Yes? So the doubter and the decider. To work with the mind, one needs a sadguru. I shared that last week. A sadguru helps us to clear our doubts. Until you meet one, who's independently joyous, you think it's impossible, correct? But then you meet someone who's actually living like this and that mind that is doubting all of a sudden becomes more clear. And a clear mind really becomes quiet and follows. What the Sadhguru then does is help us work with our intellect and that is done through the Shastra. The intellect is the decider. The intellect needs logic. The intellect needs something, an idea to hold on to. And this is the role that the Shastra plays in our journey. And now I'm going to shift gears to some academia, important academia. So once again, Try to remember this, try to write this down. Many would be thinking, so what is the scripture? What is the map? Going back to movies, 
When a map is produced, it's produced by someone who's found a treasure, correct? There's the X, there's the tree, there's the boat. Our Shastra is the anubhuti or experience of those who are independently joyous. It is their experience. So we need not think this is so esoteric and so abstract. Why we think that is because we're so far from that. But the more joyous we become, the more we come to realize what we studied in college and university is way more abstract (laughs) and impractical (laughs) than our Shastra. And that's why people who are technically illiterate, like a Sri Ramakrishna or a Sri Ramana, they're joyous. But for us, we would call them illiterate. But who do you want to be? You want to be the one who has a strong professional career, but you're miserable? Joyous, and even if someone makes fun of them, they just laugh it off. So our Shastra is Anubhuti. This Anubhuti came to be known as the Veda. Veda means knowledge or knowing. If you want to know how to be joyous, the Veda is there for you. Knowledge or knowing. How many teachings are contained within the Veda? Share with me. How many mantras? A hundred and eighty thousand. Three. Whoa, we have a huge range. (laughs) See the political answer? Countless. (laughs) There are more than 100,000 mantras or teachings, what we know of is 100,000. So that's the number you should work with. 100,000 mantras, 100,000 teachings. To give you a reference, how many shlokas are there in Bhagavad Gita? 700. (laughs) Just to give you, how much of a lifetime is needed to appreciate Bhagavad Gita, leave alone the Veda. A great thinker, his name is Vyasa, the Vyasa. He knew that as time went on, people would become more distracted. Have you observed that in your multiple generations? Your grandparents are more focused than you. Your children are less focused than you. Yes? He knew with time, distraction would kick in. So he took one Veda and volumized this into four. The word Vyasa means editor. (laughs) I like traveling because people say, what does your son's name mean? Editor. What did you name your kid? Gardener. (laughs) An editor because he's a visionary. 
Yes. <laughs> and I don't know if you know, Shuka means parrot. <laughs> you know, like celebrities name their kids Tiger or Apple or Moon or something like that. We're also celebrities like that. We named our kid Parrot. <laughs> parrot in the sense of enlightenment. Okay? So I, I don't say Parrot. I say the one who's enlightened. So Vyasa volumized 100,000 mantras into four Vedas. They're known as the Rik Veda, Yajus Veda, Sama Veda, and Atharvana Veda. Okay? So now we have four Vedas. To understand and appreciate the Veda requires a lot of quietude of mind, and stillness of intellect. Which is why the Veda became more tactile in the form of itihasa. Itihasa technically means history. Our history is not just a record, rather is philosophical, and our two itihasas are Ramayana and Mahabharata. The Mahabharata is not more renowned, but there's portions that are more renowned, like Bhagavad Gita is within the Mahabharata. Vishnu Sahasranama is within the Mahabharata. Now, to understand and appreciate the Itihasa, you still need a quiet mind. <laughs> and a still intellect. So these manifested even more as Puranas. Puranas. We have 18 Puranas. The final and the foremost is Bhagavatam. Did you follow the flow of Shastra? sorry, anubhuti or experience. Experience of whom? Those who are joyous. Their experiences became <coughs> or got put together as the Veda. The Veda was volumized into four. This expresses as itihasas. The itihasas express as the Puranas. Now for the most sincere students, the best commentary on the Veda is Bhagavad Gita, and the best commentary on Bhagavad Gita is Bhagavatam. We jump straight to the Veda, correct? When the real system is you have to study Bhagavatam, to study Bhagavad Gita, to study the Veda. Everyone still with me? Is this interesting to you? Okay. Remember, Divinity is in the details. What's the biggest joke ever? You've heard me share this with you before. The biggest joke ever is, <coughs> I have read and understood the terms in this agreement. Correct? That is the biggest joke. Who ever reads those terms in that agreement? But you still check on it, correct? Correct? 
And that's why Facebook owns you. <laughs> you don't know, but your camera is owned by Facebook. Your bank accounts are owned by Facebook. <laughs> if the devil is in the details, divinity is also in the details. Now, the Veda, our Shastra, is a 360 degree analysis on ideals. That's what the intellect needs. The intellect needs to decide upon something, an idea. So the Veda or Shastra provides a full analysis on ideals and the importance of having an ideal in one's life is you become self-dependent. Where is an ideal? Is it in a box? Can you buy it? It's in you. See, even with a Sadhguru, a Sadhguru's body is born, a Sadhguru's body dies, but an ideal is not born, an ideal does not die. Makes you self-dependent. In the 100,000 mantras in the Veda, the first three quarters is known as the karma kanda. Kanda means portion, a portion that focuses on, we'll call this action. And if you follow <coughs> the karma kanda, you will gain pleasure, possession, and position. In other words, the karma kanda focuses on prosperity. If you want to be prosperous in the world, then the karma kanda is for you. The last quarter of the Veda is known as the jnana kanda, the portion that focuses not on action, but rather on knowledge. And this is where one wants peace. See, I come back to being a seeker. A seeker is one who's tired of what? Pleasure, possession, position. They want peace. So they flow through the karmakanda to the jnanakanda. And this is often visualized or depicted. Nandi, the bull, is always looking at Bhagavan Shiva. Nandi symbolizes the Karmakanda or Dharma. And Bhagavan Shiva symbolizes the Jnanakanda or Brahman. And I'll elaborate on these terms in forthcoming classes. The idea being you have to ride Nandi to get to Bhagavan Shiva. Does Nandi serve a purpose if Bhagavan Shiva is not there? Those who engage the Karmakanda, tricking themselves into believing the means, then their lives revolve around murtis and mandirs. But they never evolve to that ideal that transforms them 
all that they have done is substituted what they're dependent on. Please note that carefully. An ideal makes you self-dependent. Without an ideal, one has externalized that ideal to a murti, to a mandir. They've simply substituted a dependency. I used to be addicted to sugar. Now I'm addicted to honey. It's just another addiction, correct? And I'll share a really powerful story about how this happens. In Maharashtra, there is a sampradaya or tradition that you gather water from Varanasi, the Ganga. And you take that to Rameshwaram, which is in Tamil Nadu. So you're in northern India and you go to southern India, you take the water from a river near Bhagavan Shiva's Mandir and you bring this to an ocean that's near Bhagavan Shiva's Mandir. You're with me? And Sri Eknath, a great thinker, teacher, he and some disciples had gathered water from Varanasi and were on their way to Rameshwaram. And this is back in the day. And as they're traveling, they came across this donkey. And this donkey was dying, literally dying of thirst, like rolling in that hot sand and, and hot sun, like it was losing its mind. And all of those disciples kept their water because they're going to Rameshram. And immediately, Shri Eknath gave all of the water that he had collected to that donkey. And everyone was stunned. And Sri Eknath was just reveling because who did he find in that donkey? Bhagavan Shiva. They all had to go to Rameshram as if to see Bhagavan Shiva. And he got to see Bhagavan Shiva in that nearly dying donkey. One lost in the murti. Another captivated by an ideal that all of life is important. Stones, plants, animals, people. I'll wrap up my thoughts on this class by taking us back to the jnana kanda. The word jnana technically means knowledge, but what it feels like is becoming quieter. The Karmakanda does not make you quieter. The Jnanakanda makes you quieter. And so another word for the Jnanakanda is Vedanta. Did you like that build up? <laughs> Anta means end. So Vedanta means the end of the Veda. And I've already explained that technically to you. But a more lovely meaning for the word anta is inside. So Vedanta is the knowledge of what's inside of you. What's inside of you that's deeper than the body, breath, mind, intellect, ego, is the spirit. What's inside of life? Why are you here? What are you doing? So Jnanakanda, a synonym is Vedanta. 
And one more synonym for Vedanta is Upanishad. And for all of you who are going to be joining me in the Upanishad course, because you're qualified to, I'll be re-elaborating on this. Upanishad is made up of three compounds. Upa means near, like a physical proximity. Ni, N-I, means below. And shad means to sit. To study the Karmakanda, you can do this by yourself. To study the Jnanakanda or Vedanta, you have to sit near and below, coming back to one Sadguru, one who's acting out of fulfillment. There are more implied meaning. Upa still means near. And why this is so important, you cannot study intensely, passively. YouTube videos, audio recordings, that's all passive. There has to be a live presence that you feel that nearness to, that you want to be below and sit down and be there. So Upanishad means active, not passive. We have to be clear about that because so much of what we do now is passive. Upa still means near. Ni means nishchaya, determination. And shad means destruction. <laughs> so come near with determination and destruction. <laughs> You have to come near with the determination that you will destroy your sadness, your anxiety, your stress. That's what Upanishad means. One of the simplest messages of the Upanishad is shared for us to stop our habit, our infatuation, of getting lost in pleasure, possession, position. Remember how I began two classes ago, sharing nobody wants to be told what to do. We all feel that we're right. And the more you resist advice, the more you resist discipline, the harder this is to change. And so the Upanishad introduces to us Three ideals. These are all stops in our indulgent living, in our careless living. And they are known as Brahmacharya, Ahimsa, and Satya. I'll define these in English and we'll focus more on these next week. What's so amazing is the connectivity between all of our classes. In Meaningful Mornings, I've been sharing this. This naturally manifested in Hinduism 101. For those who are tuning into Rise and Shine, I've finished time management with kids. Now I'm focusing on sense management with them. So this will come up too. 
since I'm on this rent. <laughs> Sheila and I, and our kids, of course, <coughs> have been thinking for a long time. We've been trying for a long time to move to America. Everyone has a big smile now. <laughs> to a bigger city. Sheila says, I belong in a big city where I can do more local work, local seva. Going into this class, we now have 1,200 students that are studying over our five days. Sunday through Thursday, there's more than 1,200 students that are connecting to being a shishya, sadguru, shastra. And that's amazing to me is that we've been trying to move to a bigger American city, but that's not manifested so that bigger American city has come to me now. I am amazed at the connectivity between all of our classes. Brahmacharya means non-indulging. Ahimsa means non-harming. And satya means non-compromising. Non-harming, I'm sorry, non-indulging, non-harming, non-compromising. You reflect on this and we'll explore more of these ideals next week. If you enjoyed what you heard or want to learn more, share this episode with a friend or find us online at facebook.com slash cmniagara. For those on the journey of self-development, Chinmaya Mission Niagara provides a community forum for seekers to listen, reflect, and contemplate. This podcast is produced by the Young Adults of Chinmaya Mission, an international nonprofit working to transform individuals through the knowledge of Vedanta. Until next time, inspire, love, be.